You know, as I start, I want to say a couple of things. Number one, I want to thank Rob for reading that. That was really long, but he has such a cool voice that I, I just think it was awesome. Um, second thing, I, I just want to bring you back to that first video that the kids shared with us. There were some powerful uh, words in the midst of that, and some of it was that they had forgotten how much they were loved, how much they mattered to God, that they were worth something. And, and I think those words are, are tremendously powerful because that's what Jesus does. He reminds us of those very things, that we are loved and forgiven by an amazing God, that we are worth something, that we matter because he created us to matter, all those things. And we share those messages every week, but, but even we need to hear them on a regular basis lest we forget, right? I was thinking about that. We live in a, an increasingly disconnected world. We're finishing up this sermon series on, on disc, being disconnected today, and it's increasingly so. We, we've gotten a heart that is, is hardened toward our neighbors in so many ways. You don't believe me, go on the freeway. See how much you care about the people next to you, you know, at times. Um, or how much they care about you, even maybe more so. Um, we pass by people every day. We have walls in our backyards that get us to the point where we barely know some of the neighbors that we have. And I was thinking about that disconnection, and, and, and there's really an indictment in those words of the kids that somehow they can come here week after week after week and not just know implicitly that they are loved, that they matter, they're forgiven by an amazing God, that there's worth in them. And it's not just an indictment of coming here, but it's, it's really one of those things Satan tries to do. He tries to take those words away as often as he can so that we don't remember and I want to just give you that. So one of the things that we take away from that is that we need to share those messages over and over and over again with each other because we do forget. But then I, I just would throw this at you. We also need to do that for the people that are around us that maybe we don't know. Don't put up a sign in your car. They might misread it. But, you know, just the people that we work with, the neighbors that we have, the, the people that God's placed in our life, you know, the family. And I'm not saying that's easy for everybody. I mean, obviously, it's not easy for me all the time. I get on planes. I've shared this story at least once or twice before, but I get on planes, and there's one thing I don't really like to do when I'm on a plane, even though I'm a pastor, supposed to be better than this, but I don't like talking to other people when I'm on a plane. I don't know if I feel trapped or I get insecure. There's something terribly wrong with me. I just want to start with that, okay? But as a result of this, this issue that I have, I, I've taken uh, different measures at times to try to prevent that from actually happening, you know? So uh, one of the things I do, at least since college, is I put headphones on almost immediately, you know? So thus, I, I might engage in a conversation with somebody, and, and usually that works pretty good, and if it doesn't, I just start singing, and then everybody just wants to avoid me at that point. So it's, a, it's an amazing thing. But there was one occasion when I was in seminary, of all places, uh, that God decided that he wanted a different outcome. And he sabotaged my batteries. I'm convinced of it in the CD player back in the day that it was. And, and all of a sudden, my CD player went out, which was incredibly traumatizing because I've only had to sing one or two times. And this was one of the two times that I had to sing because the guy next to me, he talked to me as I was getting in my seat, as I was buckling in my seat, as I was looking for the CD player, as I was doing all these different things, even talked to me while I had the CD player going. And then finally, I started singing. So, you know, it was one of those things. The batteries went out. I didn't know what to do. I could talk to him, sure, but I, I tried to think for 10 minutes, listening to nothing on my headphones, what else could I possibly do to thwart the situation? And then I thought, I'm a seminary. I have a Bible in my backpack. And I thought I'd bring out the Bible, and if he was a Christian, he would know I was doing devotion, and he would respect that. And if he wasn't a Christian, he'd be freaked out, and, and I would respect that, you know? And so I took out the Bible, and I began reading, doing my devotions. 
got about two words into it, and he says, is that a Bible? And I said, yeah, i just trying to do my devotion. <laughs> and he paused, and I thought, Phew. And then he said, I used to be a Christian. And all of a sudden, alarm bells went all over my body and in my mind, and he shouted at me, talk to the man. And it did. And I talked to him from basically the beginning of the flight to all the way through, and somewhere over Oklahoma, he gave his life to Jesus Christ. I knew when we got back, he asked for my address, or when we, and I thought I'd never see him again. Got a letter in the mail, still cool in those days, right? Um, letter in the mail, I don't know, three months later, joined a, a local Lutheran church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And he thanked me for letting God use me to change his life. I thought it started out as such an average day, you know? What could go wrong? What could go good? You know, and I had a conversation, and who would have dreamed I would have had a conversation that would have changed someone's eternal destination? But you know, it's part of the unexpected kind of thrill of being a Christian. It's part of the unexpected adventure that we get to have. And, and weirdly, this happens to me over and over and over in my life, usually without as much resistance, but there are times, right? And, and I think it's cool, right? But that's what makes the Christian faith really exciting. When you're on the front lines looking for opportunities to share with others about Jesus Christ, or at times, because we all have weakness, not you guys, but the first service for sure, the third service, have weakness, and, and even in the times that we're not looking, if God can use our openness to sharing, our openness to being used, extraordinary things can happen. And it's during those times in our life that our prayer life is never more fervent because we're praying, God, I need your help. God, I need your words. It's when you're most dependent upon God because you don't know what to say. It's when your worship is more heartfelt, most heartfelt, because you're worshiping the God of the second chance, because you know if somehow God works, this person can be in heaven. It's when your Christian life is its most exciting. I, I think we lose a little bit of that, and I'm an illustration of that more than anybody, right? I mean, I even tried to thwart it by headphones, right? But we forget to love the people that God places in our lives. We forget to share. And I share all this just to begin the day because Jesus' last words before he ascended into heaven were in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, where it says, therefore, go and make disciples. In other words, share those messages the kids held on to, right? That Jesus loves them, that they matter, that they have worth. I'd add that they're forgiven. In other words, he says, if you're a follower of mine, if you come to church, you say Jesus is your Lord and Savior, right? He says, I want you to go into your neighborhood and into your office building and into your job site and into the hospitals and the prisons and the schools and I want you to communicate the only message on the face of the planet that can transform a human being's eternity. So you start asking, well, how do we put ourselves in those kind of places? Are we going to have those kind of conversations? Rule number one, don't put on headphones. That would really help in a lot of cases, right? But the real answer is simply this, do what Jesus would do. He said, oh, Pastor, I've heard that before. You know, what does that even look like? I got the bracelet at home someplace, but, but what does it really mean? Well, in the effort to answer that question, I want to do something a little different, and I want you just to imagine just for a little bit, what if Jesus lived at your house? What would you see him doing? Imagine Jesus relating to your neighbors. How would he do it? Would he do it differently than you or the same? What lessons might you learn from him? If Jesus worked in your cubicle at work, or if Jesus sat next to you at class, at school, it could be in any environment that we're in, that we're around people who don't know Jesus or who are far from him at that moment. So what lessons could we learn? For the sake of this morning, I've limited it to three, but I think there's at least three things that we could learn. And one of the first things is this. If Jesus lived in my house, 
I bet he would have compassion and concern on his neighbors. I think we know this from Scripture because in the only place in the entire Bible where Jesus tells three stories in a row to make the same point is found in Luke 15, which Rob so wonderfully read to us. In the story, it tells a story about a sheep that has wandered away from the flock, and he talked about a widow who had lost a coin, a big part of her inheritance. And he talks about a father whose son took his inheritance early and moved out to pursue wine, women, and song. It was essentially two lessons that Jesus was trying to teach in those three, those three stories. And the first lesson was just this, that that which was lost is valuable, right? The sheep was valuable to the shepherd. He just had a little flock, and so if one left, it was a big deal. I, to try to equate that to us, you know, I have three kids. If I lost one of them, I would search for as long as it took to try to find that little one because they matter to me. Each one of those matter to me. And that's the kind of heart that he wants us to have for those that are lost. Imagine one of your children going away or being lost. The coin mattered to the widow. It was a big chunk of her resources. And, of course, the son mattered to the father when he left. There's a second point, too, in the midst of this, a second lesson, and that is this, that that which was lost is warrants an all-out search. Because the sheep was valuable to the shepherd, the shepherd left behind all the other sheep and went and looked for the sheep to see if he could find it, much like we would one of our kids. The lady swept the house, I don't know, 20 times probably looking for that coin, and when she found it, she was so excited, she invited the neighbors over for a party. And the father... His eyes were constantly and every day sweeping across the horizon, waiting, hoping, praying for the return of his son. So when Jesus Christ was sharing all this, he's sharing that lost people, people who are spiritually confused, that they matter to him. That they matter to him implicitly, completely. He says, they're valuable to me. They are made by God Almighty. They're made in his image and they're important, and he's just saying this, that they were therefore warrant an all-out search. They warn it by Jesus, they warn it by you, they warn it by me, they warn it by this church. And it is worth it because of their value, because God made them to matter, and he made us, who are in this place, to care about those who matter. Therefore, we want to invest in our effort to search them out, to tell them the good news, to tell them that they're loved, that they're worth something, that they matter. There's a great example of this. I was reading in a thing a little bit ago and about a guy named Jack Sternberg. Jack grew up in a Jewish home in the Northeast, and he was an atheist and didn't even believe in the Jewish faith of his parents. Anyway, he ended up becoming a doctor in Little Rock, Arkansas, a cancer specialist. And he had a patient one time who was a Christian, and he wrote these words about her. And I want you to read just what he wrote about this particular woman. He said, it's a very sad circumstance, he said. One woman with terminal breast cancer who is in her early 30s with a husband and a young child who will soon be widowed and motherless. It's a terrible situation. Young mother dying from terminal breast cancer, and yet, he said, she seemed more concerned about my spiritual welfare in my knowing Jesus than in the fact that she was dying. He writes, she somehow was able to see my lostness, my separation from God as a a greater tragedy than her own illness. And she trusted this Jesus then and for eternity. And even though God had allowed her, her illness to ravage her, she still loved and worshipped and followed him. She seemed so confident about her future end. She seemed genuinely concerned about mine. And he goes, and that completely overwhelmed me. It was that that caused Jack Sternberg to bend his knees and to receive Jesus Christ as his forgiver and leader. You know, when I was reading that, I thought, you know, what if I cared that way about my neighbors? And if I neighbors are listening to this podcast or whatever it is, absolutely I care about you, you know, whatever. But 
what if I really cared that deeply about my neighbors? Right, where I saw their separation from God as a, a greater tragedy than all of my little issues, my petty issues that keep me from sharing the fact that he loves them and he cares for them and that they're worth something. What if I cared for them in that way? It's crazy. You know, Jesus, and, and I think we forget, I mean, he's done all this for us. I don't know why it doesn't occur to us to give it to other people, but, but Jesus saw our lostness and my lostness as a greater tragedy than his own torture and death on the cross. God gave up his son, and Jesus himself walked to the cross knowing what was about to happen. And he gave up his life to pay for our sins so that we could know him, so that we could be in heaven. And so if Jesus lived in my house, one of the things I know is that he would have great concern, great compassion for those that live next door. But there's more than that, too. I think if Jesus lived in our house, too, before talking to our neighbors, he'd probably be talking to God about our neighbors, right? In other words, he'd pray. As you go through Scripture, you see that Jesus, before he did anything of significance, he would always go to his heavenly Father and he would pray. And I think this is hugely significant for us. A pastor wrote this a few years ago. He says, a few years ago, when I was at my last church where I was a pastor, we did, were doing a baptism service. And the way we did it is we baptized lots of people all at once. There were hundreds of people there that day being baptized. And during the first part of the service, we explained the message of Jesus and what it was all about. Then people would come and up to be baptized. Those who were being baptized were wearing a name tag, but often they would bring someone with them for moral support in front of such a big crowd. Some people were kind of nervous, and so a woman came up to be baptized, and she had her name tag on. And she was about 60 years old or so, and a guy was with her, very tough-looking guy, sort of a construction worker kind of guy. You could tell this guy was tough as nails. And they came up, and and I said to her, are you here to be baptized? And she said, yes, I am. I said, have you given your life to Jesus Christ? And she said wholeheartedly, yes, I have. I was just going to baptize her, but for whatever reason, I turned to the man and said, are you her husband? He said, yes, yes, I am. I said, have you given your life to Jesus Christ? And his face sort of screwed up and burst into tears, weeping and sobbing. No, I haven't but I want to right now. Pastor said, I said, great, and let him in a prayer, and he confessed his sins, and he received Jesus Christ, and I baptized him and his wife together. And after the service, I was walking down from the platform, and another woman came running up to me, threw her arms around me. She's weeping and crying, nine years, nine years. I said, who are you? (laughs) What do you mean with nine years? She said, that's my brother you just led to Jesus Christ. That was my sister-in-law you just baptized with him. We've been praying for him for nine years, and we've seen no glimmer of spiritual interest, no indication whatsoever that he had any interest in Jesus Christ. But look, look what God did today. You know, as I was reading that story, I can just imagine you thinking of people in your life, mom or dad, kids, relatives, family members, other family members, people that you work with, good buddy from college, whoever that you've been praying for, and you don't even know how many years you've been praying for him. And you see no hope, and a lot of you just, because of that, you just gave up praying, or you don't do it as often as you used to. And if you, that's you, I just want to say this to you, and this is what Jesus would say to you this morning. He says, I, I don't want you to give up hope. I don't want you to give up. I don't want you to give up praying. Pray consistently and specifically and fervently. And as God brings people to your mind, if he brings three people to mind, just write down their initials right now. Put their initials down. And if you don't know anybody, just pray that God would bring somebody into your life that needs to know his son, Jesus Christ, so that they can know that they're loved too, that there's a hope, that there's a way forward. And make a commitment today that you're going to pray for them. 
a little bit every day, that God would open their eyes to their need for Jesus Christ, and that God would use you as an ambassador in their lives to bring them this message of hope. You know, I think the media gets it so backwards. They say we're a bunch of crazies that just focus on the negative, but our message should be that God loves you, that you matter, that there is hope, that there are new beginnings, that there is forgiveness, that there is reconciliation. Just imagine if Congress embraced those traits, we'd get stuff done. But the media doesn't focus on that. They focus on the one crazy who's shouting, don't do this. But we've got to be louder. We've got to have a louder voice sharing that love with people in this community, in this world, because they need it. You know, if Jesus lived in my house, too, I think there'd be a third thing. I think he'd take spiritual risks for the sake of his neighbors. In other words, I think we need to be willing to take risks as a church, as followers of Jesus Christ. When those split-second opportunities come into our life, as they will in your life, you can either play it safe or you can go down a spiritual road. We need to make a decision at this moment to go down the spiritual road because if we wait until the middle of that moment, until that split-second decision needs to be made, it's just too late. So you need to decide this morning so when those split-second opportunities come, you'll take the spiritual route. My dead buddy had a great example of this. This happened to him last year, and he said, he shared the story. It went like this. He said, I'll never forget this man who came to me a few years ago, an elderly man with with a cane. There was such a look of pain on his face. I said, what's wrong? And he said, I want to tell you what happened. I live in a trailer park. Last week, a woman who lives there was taken away by ambulance in the middle of the night, sick. So I went to the hospital to see her the next day. I'm sitting there next to her bed in the hospital, and she's a person who was far from God. And do you know how easy it is in a hospital room when people are scared and sick to get into a spiritual conversation? It's super easy. The door of opportunity was wide open. And I just played it safe. I just engaged in a little surface level small talk with that woman and I never went through the door of opportunity to talk to her about what she needed most. I got home and I was so mad at myself. Why did I shrink back? Why didn't I take the risk? I resolved right then and there that I'm going to go back the next day and I'm going to talk to her and I'm going to explain to her about the hope that's available through Jesus Christ. And then the phone rang. It was the news that she had died. He said, this guy looked at me with an anguish on his face and said, Pastor, just keep telling the people when those split-second opportunities come to take a deep breath, trust God, and take the spiritual road. He said, Pastor, keep on telling them. And and the crazy thing is, is we can do this today with almost no risk. Right? I was reading this week, in the first century, when Christians were caught sharing their faith, they could be thrown into the lion dens, torn apart by wild beasts. There are places in our world today, in Africa and in the Middle East, that if you share Jesus with somebody, you can be thrown in jail or killed. Nero, the emperor, used to have these garden parties at night, and he wanted to light up the patio, so he would take Christians, tie them up, dip them in tar, and tie them to a pole, and light them on fire so he could illuminate his garden party. I tell you, those folks were taking a risk when they told somebody the message of Jesus Christ. (laughs) But the funny thing is, it didn't stop them. They they couldn't kill enough Christians, and the message spread like wildfire. But today, as we sing these songs, right, that remind us of how great a country we live in, we live in America, and there is so little risk. You know, I've never bled for my faith. I've never, probably will never be tortured for my faith. Knock on wood. I don't know if it's wood, but, you know. But 
to realize I can take a risk, a small risk, and say, hey, I don't know what you're doing Sunday, but if you want to come to something that might change your life, I'd love for you to come. And what's the worst thing they could possibly do to you? They can look at you in the face and say, no, thanks. Does that have to destroy your soul? Does that have to rock your world or, or shatter you? No. Just think of it as inviting somebody to a restaurant. If they don't go, who cares, you know? So you invite them. I, I've invited my neighbor nine times. She said, no, no, no. The tenth time, my niece asked her, and she came to Easter. Praise the Lord. But what's the big deal? You're offering them everything. You're offering them heaven. You're offering them forgiveness. You're offering them hope. You're offering them strength. You're offering them everything. If they don't want it, all you can do is offer again sometime down the road, but it doesn't have to devastate us. And so what I wanted to do as we close is I want you to put down the initials of those three folks that maybe you were thinking about earlier. Folks that you know don't know God or who are far away from him. And I want you to pray that God would give you the courage to make the choice and to follow through with it that when that opportunity comes, you're not just going to play it safe, but that you're going to go down that spiritual road. That you're going to take a deep breath. You're going to trust God and you're going to see what God does. You're going to see what Jesus does. And all God's people said, amen.